yeah, we're coming to the end of our Come Drink, Buy, Drink and Eat series of uh, Jesus taking care of our souls. Um, and if we go to the PowerPoint, you remember last time uh, I told my story, didn't I? My, one of my testimonies. Uh, the night with the lady of the night. And um, we looked and discovered what I thought was quite a powerful truth in Psalm 23. The Lord did not kind of stop my soul thirsting for something until I chose to do it for him. Now, it isn't always the case that suddenly, as soon as you choose to do something for Jesus, one, you're healed, you're set free from something, whether it be an addiction or some of that that I was struggling with. But in this case, it happened. For years and years, I tried to stop smoking, all sorts of good reasons. But instantly that night, I said, Lord, I think I need to give up smoking because it's not a good testimony if I'm going to be a pastor for other people. And instantly, this desire that had followed me since the age of, I don't know, six or seven, totally just vanished. And I never, ever wanted and desired to smoke again. But we realized that these wonderful promises about restoring our soul... When we discover it's we walk on these, he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That if he really is your shepherd, then it's no longer about you, it's about him. It's no longer what you think is right, it's what he thinks is right. His will takes priority. And when we realize that, when your true pleasure is in pleasing the Lord, and that he's the best reason you'll ever need for anything, when we choose to do things for his name's sake, we find that just as the, what the Apostle Paul said in the next slide, in, in Philippians 4, Paul said, I know what is it, it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. And I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Having a contented soul, whether you've got good or bad going on, when we choose to do things for Jesus' namesake, the more we find that he restores and restrengthens our soul so that through his strengthening and restoration of our soul, we can do all these things for his name's sake. But I want to show us this morning, you probably know it already, obviously, but I want to show us something this morning that needs to happen to your soul before Jesus can become your shepherd. Okay, before you can be led in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, before he can restore your soul and lead you beside quiet waters, before he can do all the rest of Psalm, you're cupping overflowing, your goodness and mercy following you, preparing a table before you in the presence of your enemies, before all of that, something needs to happen to your soul. Okay, so we're going right back to the beginning. The beginning of your family. When was the beginning of your family? Genesis chapter 2. Okay, it's going to be on the screen, but look it up in your Bibles as well. I, for me, anyway, I like to make notes in my Bibles. My, my Bibles are just the one Bible. Um, and I find it a lot easier. But if you haven't got your Bibles, it's thankfully on the screen for you as well. 
In Genesis 2, verse 4, it begins, This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. No shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Does that remind you of something the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, would do to you? The Holy Spirit will come and he will spring forth with living water welling up inside your innermost being. Whoa, have you ever seen that before in Genesis? That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? The rivers of living water welling up into your soul. Okay. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now, some versions translate this, and the man became a living person. And other translations, like the King James, use this word. And the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils and the breath, the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Okay? So God formed the body of Adam out of the dust of the ground. And our bodies are made of the same stuff. Minerals and elements found in the earth. Do you agree? Do you agree? Is there anything in you that isn't found, in your body that isn't found in the ground or in the atmosphere? No. Our bodies, the human body, is approximately 99% comprised of just six elements. Did you know that? I didn't before I googled it. Can you name any of the six elements that 99% of your body is made up of? Hang on. Carbon, yes? Well, what is water made out of? Okay, hydrogen, oxygen, yes, and carbon. Anything else? Nope. Yeah, what's your skin made out of? <laughs> okay, oxygen, hydrogen, nitrogen, carbon, calcium, and phosphorus. Okay, those are the 99% of your body is comprised of just those six things, okay? And the other 1%, 0.85% of that is made up of sulfur, potassium, sodium, chlorine, and magnesium, okay? And then there's a tiny, tiny point something, something percentage, there's other stuff, all right? Okay? So. The science of DNA is also it. So the, the amazing God shaped Adam out of the earth, out of these elements, calcium and carbon and things like that. And he also included within that this kind of amazing structure called DNA, which is how your body is designed. They know what cells go where and things like that. Okay, so God included DNA, the science of DNA, in Adam's body. And also the blueprint of how it would re reproduce itself when, when Eve came along. Okay, so your body is basically earth, everything in the earth with, with God's amazing design kind of put into it. Okay, so Adam's body was formed and ready, but he was not yet alive. There was one missing ingredient. What was that? God breathed into him the breath of life and he became a living soul. Okay. Now, next slide. 
I read in the news, and this is the picture from The Guardian, I read in the news in June this year that a group of UK and American researchers say they have created the world's first synthetic human embryo-like structures from stem cells. Okay? It says, scientists say these model embryos resemble those in the earliest stages of human development. The structures do not have a beating heart or are beginnings of a brain yet, but include cells that would typically go on to form the placenta, yolk sac, and the embryo itself. So what they're really saying is we haven't really got far at all. It's not, you know, it's nowhere near. It could create a placenta and go on and go on. But they're getting there kind of thing. They have this, they have this in mind. So it's nothing like being a baby just yet. Now, you've probably heard of this joke. So stop me if you have. Okay. Okay, fair enough. Right. Thinking about the Guardian's article. Do you want to hear the joke? Sorry, I've been. <laughs> All right. You definitely heard it, though. Yeah, a group of scientists go up to God and they say, God, we don't think we need you anymore because we pretty much discovered all that we are going to discover and we can pretty much do things for ourselves, even start to create synthetic human embryos to create our own babies. So we don't really need you anymore. And God says, okay, fair enough. Shall we have a competition? Let's see if that's true. Let's actually create a human being, okay? I'll go away, you go away, and see who can create this human being. And the scientists go, yep, sure thing, we can do that. So first thing they do is they get some dirt and they scoop it up into a bucket. And God goes, hang on a minute, go and get your own dirt. <laughs> yeah. All right. That wasn't too painful, Val. No? All right. So thinking back to this article, I thought to myself, well, they can try all they like to get as far as they can to create these synthetic human embryos, but it is never going to live unless God breathes life into it and makes it a living soul. You see, you are more than just science. You are more than just chemicals and minerals and DNA. You are God-breathed. Just like Adam was God-breathed, you are God-breathed. Your body amazingly came about because of God's original blueprint of reproduction. Adam and Eve coming together, egg and sperm produces a human baby, a body. Okay? That is God's design. Your body amazingly came about because of God's amazing plan. But you, the living soul, came about and entered your mother's womb this is, basically, this, is, this is my understanding, by the way. I'm not saying the Word of God says this is exactly what happens, but this is my understanding from Scripture. You, the living soul, came about and entered your mother's womb at conception 
because God breathed you into existence. Okay? Your body is a result of your mother and father's DNA coming together and making your unique DNA. Okay? Which determines what your body looks like and works like or unfortunately doesn't work like sometimes. Sometimes we blame God for the things about our bodies that we are frustrated and disappointed with. Have you ever done that? Blame God for something about your body that doesn't work properly? God, why did you make me this way? I might feel like complaining to God that he made me start losing my hair in my early 20s. I mean, there are other things more serious maybe, but is it God's fault that I started losing my hair in my early 20s? Did God make my body this way? Hmm. Hands up who says yes. No one? Hands up who says no? Hands down if you're not. Yeah, okay, there's a few. All right. The strong likelihood is that our bodies are the way they are because of our parents' DNA or a malfunction in that DNA. They call it genetics, don't they? Genes. It's passed down in the genes. Or my body doesn't function the way it should do because of sickness or injury before I was born or after I was born. But uh, my hair is the way it is, not because God designed it that way, but because of my parents and my grandparents and my great-grandparents' DNA. It's in the genes. Okay? That's why my body is the way it is. Because of DNA, science. My parents' genes. Okay? Now, apart from Adam, who was personally formed out of the dust by God, and then Eve, who was formed by God, taken out of Adam, our bodies are created by God's amazing plan of Adam and Eve being fruitful and multiplying. Okay? God's science of reproduction. Now, here you might say, you're probably thinking, some of you, What about that scripture of God knitting us together in our mother's womb? Jackie, were you thinking of that? No? Okay. You were, Mike, were you? Yeah, you're thinking of that scripture? God knit us together. So surely God knitted me together. He made my body. He made it the way it is. Okay, he thought, "Mm, David's going to lose his hair early 20s. Okay. Well, let's have a look at that scripture, shall we? God knitting us together, all right? Psalm 139, verse 13 says, For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. That is David writing that psalm. Now, what part of David did David say God created? His innermost being. Okay, you created my innermost being. Now, what would we classify our innermost being as being from our understanding of Scripture? 
spirit or soul, okay? Both of them or one of them, or they might be the same thing, we don't know. But God created your soul, your innermost being, okay? And then it says, you knit me together in my mother's womb. So I wonder what David thought God had knit together in his mother's womb. Now this scripture is often referred to as our bodies, isn't it? But do you know what I think it means? The knitting together of your soul and your body. Your body was created by DNA coming together, a sperm and an egg coming together. Your body is determined by your parents' genes. And what God does is as soon as that little baby is conceived, God breathes a new soul into that body and knits them together. Okay. My parents' DNA determined my body, but the Lord determined me. Do you get what I'm saying? I'm not my body, am I? God breathed me into existence the moment my body started growing, somewhere in February 1973. God breathed me into existence. I became a living soul inside this body. God placed me in my temporary earth suit. That's what the Bible calls my body, a tent. Okay, a temporary earth suit. God breathed my soul into this temporary earth suit as it was conceived and started growing in 1973 and you know what he's got a heavenly body ready for me in 2000 and something isn't that good news your body came about through the miracle of God's gift of human reproduction but you your soul came about because of the miracle of God breathing you into existence and knitting you together with your body. And one day, you will leave your body. Your body came from the stuff that the earth is made of. And what will it do? It will return to the earth, won't it? Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. But your soul came from God. And guess where that returns? To God. The Bible says that one day every soul will stand before God and be judged. It's not just Christian souls that come from God and return to God. Everyone's soul comes from God. And everyone's soul returns to God to be judged. Every soul that God breathes into life is born for one specific purpose. Now, we think life is about getting an education, getting a career, maybe getting married, maybe having children, enjoying family, having amazing adventures that make all sorts of good memories. Life can be good like that, can't it? But that is not the purpose of why you exist. What is the purpose of why you exist? 
come into a relationship with God and enjoy him forever. That is why he breathed you into life. God sent you not just to be your parent's child, but ultimately to be his child. Some people are born to parents that didn't or don't want their child. But the very fact that you are living, you are a living soul, means that God wanted you. Sometimes it happens, doesn't it? A baby comes about, a baby's body comes about through an unwanted pregnancy. And yet, because that baby exists, it's not just because two people came together, but God said, I'm going to send a living soul into that body. They might not have chosen to have a child or want this child, but you know what? I'm going to send a soul into that body because I want that soul. They are going to live have the opportunity to live and know me forever. And the, the little souls that God sends, the child doesn't make it through childbirth or doesn't make it through childhood, they just get to go home just that bit quicker, don't they? Sad for the parents never got to knew them, know them, but wonderful for them. And for the Lord, every soul has the opportunity to know God. Okay. Your parents... Let's say, whatever the circumstances surrounding your birth, God breathed your soul into existence because he wanted you to exist and have the opportunity to enjoy a relationship with him forever. This life is just the beginning, isn't it? Your parents may or may not have chosen you, but God certainly chose you so that hopefully one day you would choose him. He chose you so that you could then choose him. And do you know what the Bible calls this? Reconciliation. Next slide, please. The Apostle Paul pleads with people in this way in 2 Corinthians 5.20. We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You've come from him, sadly born into a world that separates you from him because of sin. Be reconciled to him. Because here's the dilemma. God's dilemma and ours. When God sends a soul, there is a danger. Because unforgiven sin separates a soul from God. No one can be reconciled to God, to a holy God, with sin on their ledger. Now, we're not talking about children. God makes it quite clear in the Old Testament. There is a kind of certain age where people reach that they are responsible for their own decisions. But when we are responsible for our own decisions, whatever age that is, God knows we don't. Sin cannot be reconciled to God. One sin, 50 billion sins, it makes no difference. If someone's got sin on their ledger, they cannot be reconciled to God because God, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. If God is life, then to be unreconciled to God 
is for eternity to experience death. A soul to experience death. If they're not reconciled to life, then what they're facing is eternal death, separation from God. And the only other place that God can send a soul that is not reconciled to him and live with him forever is this place called hell. The Bible makes that quite clear. Those who die in their sins, Jesus said, go to hell. Those who die in Christ, go to him. Can you imagine a place? I mean, the Bible makes it clear what hell is like, but can you imagine a place where there is no, nothing of God, it's everything that is not God, separated from God. No goodness, no love, no light, no joy, no, nothing good, just awful suffering for eternity in darkness, in the presence of the, of the devil. It was created for him, but every soul that follows him that way and does not follow Jesus, sadly, has to follow Satan instead to where he belongs. So that's the dilemma. When God sends a soul into a body, they need to be reconciled to him in all, when they return to him. Okay. No amount of time can wipe sin away from our ledger. It doesn't like run out of time and then gets forgotten about. No amount of money or good deeds can ever counterbalance our sins. Sin is sin. And when a person comes to realize that the wages for their sin, whether it's one sin or 50 billion sins, is eternal death, and there's nothing that they can do by themselves to stop these wages from being handed to them one day when they face God for judgment, when they realize that, that's when they fully appreciate what God did for them through Jesus and why they need to repent and be reconciled to God through what Jesus did for them. Because Jesus, who is fully God, went through human birth like you and I. Hebrews says about Jesus, a body you prepared for me. Just like us, Jesus was sent into a body and yet he who knew no sin was sinless, it says, became sin, taking upon our sin upon that cross so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. One day we could stand before God as our soul, who we really are, and not be sinful, but be forgiven and seen as righteousness before God. Only God could save us from having to hand our wages to us by taking those wages upon himself on the cross and suffering God-forsakenness himself so that we might never have to suffer God-forsakenness, being separated from God, because he loves you. He breathed you into existence because he loves you and wants to have a relationship with you forever and ever. And what does he require in return for what Jesus Christ did for you? 
to clinch this reconciliation. I read recently how J. John puts it. Admit, commit, or commit, and submit. Jesus talks about repenting. Turning from following yourself to turning from following him. Turning from trusting in your own self-righteousness and good deeds to trusting in what he did for you. That's what repenting is. Admitting, I'm going the wrong way. And then committing to following the Lord Jesus for the rest of the days because you know what he did for you and who he really is. And submitting, like we read in Psalm 23. He leads us on paths of righteousness for his name's sake, submitting to him being your shepherd. Let's finish by with this, this verse in Romans 5. Have we got up there? Here we go. It says, For if while we were God's enemies, that is how strong effect the effect of sin is. Through sin, our God-breathed souls become an enemy of God. People don't realize that, do they? Yeah, God's love, God's friendly. When I see him, if he, is, he does exist, I'll tell him, you know, I'll talk to him. No, they don't realize they're enemies. Their soul is an enemy of God until they become reconciled. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Have you been reconciled to God? God breathed you into existence the moment you conceived with the hope that one day you would choose him through what he did for you through Jesus Christ to be reconciled to him so that one day when you face judgment, when your soul leaves your body, earth to earth, dash to dashes, ashes to ashes, but your soul goes back to God and stands in judgment, he can say, welcome home. Forgiven, child of mine and give you a new heavenly body to enjoy forever and ever with him. Last verse here. I think I did the last verse twice now, haven't I? So, penultimate. Jesus said this, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Lose it. If you want to carry on going down that way of not believing in Jesus, one day you will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Your body is your body because of your parents' DNA. And your soul, who you really are, is because Jesus breathed you into life to be reconciled to him and have a relationship with him forever.